0: Brother Teddy read a part of this scripture a little while ago. I would like to read verses 10 through 21. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are past and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, Be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God will reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me. And mark them which walk as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation, or citizenship, is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. May we pray. Our Father, guide our footsteps and our thoughts and our words as we bring the word of God to our hearts today. We pray you will guard our lips from presumptuous statements. And may the Holy Spirit apply the word to all of us. We ask it in Jesus' precious name, amen. Forgetting the things which are behind, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I knew a preacher, he's in heaven now, many years ago, who had to overcome some difficult things in his past. In his childhood, he had to overcome the fact that he did not know who his father was. He was an illegitimate son. Sometimes he received a lot of meanness on the part of others about that. Some of you who may have gone through this same experience understand that. And because of that, sometimes he would get into trouble and do things that were wayward and then he met Christ. And Christ changed all of that. His life became hid with God in Christ. And he began to be an overcomer. He said one time, this is his life verse. Forgetting the things that are past, forgetting those things which are behind, I press on toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I would not mention that man's name. Many of you would know him. But he became a great rock for Christ. He became a Gibraltar. And God used him to win many, many, many people to Jesus Christ. What I'm trying to say is we do not have to live under the ugly things of our past, nor can we just go on on the basis of good things in our past. We have to press on. Forgetting the things which are behind, whether they be good or bad. I think of the Apostle Paul, one of the great noble men of all time. Some believe he was the greatest Christian, humanly speaking, that ever walked the earth. He took Jesus Christ seriously. And when he met the Lord on the Damascus road, he had already had a wonderful and terrible past. Wonderful in that he was intelligent. He was the Aristotle of his day. He was an amazing man. Spoke many languages. Had come to Jerusalem to study the feet of Gamaliel. In our day, we would call him Dr. Paul. He had the highest degrees a man could have in that day. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. The Jews all respected him. But they had taught him to hate Christians. They had taught him that this Jesus was an imposter. That he was a sect, a cult, and he had contempt for Christians. And so he went everywhere trying to kill Christians. He had them arrested, thrown in prison. One day he was on the street corner in Jerusalem and he heard a young man, Stephen, who was a deacon in the church there, give his testimony. Stephen was talking about Jesus. He talked about his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. And when he began to talk about Jesus being alive, the Jews picked up great stones and started hurling them at him. And they took their coats off and laid their coats down at the feet of young Saul. He took care of the coats and he consented to the death of Stephen. Until the very end, he heard Stephen say something he could never forget. Stephen looked up. He said, I see Jesus. I see Jesus. And he's standing at the right hand of the Father standing in honor of the first Christian martyr. Well, at that moment, Saul didn't pay a lot of attention to that, but it registered in his mind. You know, there are many times we have experiences that we think we're forgetting, we're putting aside, and yet they make internal impressions on our heart and in our mind in our memory. Thus it did with Saul. A few days later, he was going to Damascus to arrest and to put to death Christians in Damascus And on his way, in his innermost thought, he heard the voice, I see Jesus, I see Jesus. Ten miles outside the ancient city of Damascus, he heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul said, who are you, sir? The voice said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And in a moment of total yieldedness and surrender, Saul said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the voice told him what to do. And that moment Saul surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. A few days later, he became Paul, the great missionary, and went across the world winning people to Jesus Christ. He established churches in Ephesus, in Colossae, in Alexandria, in Laodicea, all across the Asian world, down in Egypt, and over in Italy, and up in the Balkan countries, and tradition says even in Spain, that man who had once hated Jesus became a Gibraltar for the Lord. And then in a Philippian, when he wrote to the Philippian church in a Roman prison, looking forward to death, he wrote not a word about sorrow or not a word about how anxious he was or how worried he was. He just said this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, he already knew the Lord. He was already saved. This was not a prayer of salvation. He said, I want to get to know him better. And the way I'll know him better is in the power of his resurrection. That means after death, I'm going to rise like he did. You see the vital faith of his heart. And he said, I'm going to go through the sufferings that Jesus went through. I stood in the hospital several years ago with a person who was in great anguish, terrible suffering, just before death. And that lady looked to me and said, I had tears because it hurt so much to see her in so much agony. She said, don't, don't weep for me. She said, I'm going through some of the suffering the Lord went through, and I want to know Him better because of this. When we go through suffering and sorrow and hurt, we can know him better and identify with him. That's what Paul was saying that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, even the death of the cross. And in this wonderful thought, he was saying, I want to forget some things and put some things behind me. Notice he said, forgetting the things that are past, past failures. Saul had a lot of them, Paul had a lot of them. You know, all of us have a lot for which we're gonna have to give an account. When we confess our sins to the Lord and we repent of sin, the sin is forgiven. But the guilt is there until we totally trust what Jesus did on the cross as enough to cover that guilt. A lot of people accuse themselves and the devil accuses them, keep, keeps kicking in their teeth all these past problems and past sins and past shames and disgraces so that people become distraught and depressed and they have to visit psychiatrists and take pills to go to sleep, pills to wake up and so on because they're so hurt over the past. Paul said, I had a past, but I'm going to forget it. I put it under the blood. I'm justified, like, like Lloyd sang the other day. The past is not against me any longer. And then remember that he was a long way through his ministry, he had been preaching over 30 years when he wrote this. And he said, I have some victories too. I'm thankful for what happened at Philippi. He wrote to them about that. Thankful what happened at Ephesus. I'm thankful that God gave me victory at Damascus and they let me over the wall in a basket. I'm thankful for what happened out in the Arabian desert when I had met alone with God for three years and I had visions and I had revelation that was not lawful for a man to talk about. I'm grateful for all that, but he said, I'm gonna put that behind me too because there's a race yet to run. There's more, there's so much more. We run the risk today of either being depressed over our past or elated over our accomplishments. Both are wrong in the Christian's life. There's not one person within the sound of my voice today who does not have a past. There have been things in our lives we would not want shown on a screen for everybody to see, but God knows it and we've been to Jesus for the cleansing power and have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, that has been covered by the blood. The quartet sings about that, covered by the blood. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And we don't have to allow the past to gang up on us and point its accusing skeleton finger at us and make us ashamed. Mighty God, while angels praise thee, dare immortals speak thy name? I often think of those words when I come to pray. I'm not worthy to pray. I'm not worthy to approach the throne of grace. But his blood has made me worthy because in Christ it's all a thing of the past. And then we sometimes think of our accomplishments. We think of some great things we have done. When George Washington crossed the Delaware and led his soldiers through the snow, and they didn't even have enough shoes on to keep their feet from freezing. And George Washington, the great general, led America to victory in the Revolutionary War, he had accomplished a great deal. He decided to go back home to Mount Vernon. All the accomplishments were passed, and he thought, well, I'll just go on back and farm and just have a great time at home. And then his country called him to be the first president. They later wanted to make him king. He rejected that. He refused it. But between the time when the war was over, the Revolutionary War was over, and before he became president, he thought, what has already been accomplished, that's good enough. I've done enough. I'll go on now and do what I want to do. In one of his biographies, it is said he read this passage of Scripture. Forgetting the things that are past, I press on. And when they called him to become President of the United States, he said, I don't feel worthy, but I'm not going to rest on the past blessings. I have more to do. And so he became our first president and designed the city of Washington and designed the White House and helped with the Capitol. Well, you and I have some things we need to forget whether they be blights or blessings. We cannot rest on yesterday's laurels, nor on yesterday's tragedies. We cannot get depressed and just quit, nor can we get so elated that we think there's nothing more to do. Paul said, I press on. I press on to the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And then, down toward the bottom of that page, he wrote some words that need to live on in our lives. <clears throat> he said, For our citizenship, <clears throat> our conversation <clears throat> is not on the earth, it's in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. This world is not my home, I'm just passing through. My treasure are laid up where, way beyond the blue, over there. And Abraham looked for a city whose founder, builder was God. And Paul said, I'm looking for that same city. And one day he will change this vile body and fashion it like unto Christ's glorious body. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul just gives us a little glimpse of that experience he had in the Arabian desert. He said, lest there, that I should be exalted above measure, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. He said, I had a revelation and, and I learned things I didn't learn from Peter, James, and John. I learned things that were not even revealed in the Old Testament. God spoke to me and he spoke to me about this treasure, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Paul was the great preacher about the Holy Spirit. He said, it's the Holy Spirit that lives in you that gives you victory, that gives you peace, that gives you joy, that gives you power to go on and on. And he said, I was so elated with this that that lest I become so elated, God gave me a thorn in the flesh. I don't know what it was. Some believe it was poor eyesight. Some believe it was a lame limb. Others have believed it was uh, different things. Some have suggested that he was melancholy. That he was up subject to being up and subject to being down depression and exaltation whatever it was he asked god three times to remove it and god said brother paul i'm not going to remove it has he ever told you that ever had a problem and burden and you said lord please i need to get rid of this thing and god said no i'm going to give you the grace to go through it god said paul i'm not going to remove the thing but i am give you grace. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness." And so, Paul was able to go on and on and on and on. And then he went back for a second imprisonment in Rome And he wrote back to Timothy, the time of my departure is at hand. I've finished the course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Our citizenship is in heaven. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He had preached 30 years, maybe 35, almost 40 years and he kept looking up and looking up until one day, they said, it's time, Brother Paul. And they led him out on the Appian Way, put his head on the block. And he was beheaded for the preaching of the cross. 35 years before that, he had consented to the death of Stephen. But oh, what a blessing Stephen was to Paul. Through his death, Paul was converted. Stephen on earth never knew about about that, but in heaven, I believe God let him see it. And And the difficulty that came in Stephen's life was more than made up for when he looked down from heaven and saw what Paul did in all the years ahead. So it may be with you. You may be going through a valley, a difficult time. Maybe you've been disappointed in yourself in the past. Or maybe you've been elated over the wonderful things God has let you do. And you tend to just stand there. God says, no, you can't do that, you go on. Press on toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. God has blessed our church. I'm thankful for the victories of the past. When we sing victory in Jesus, There comes before me a lot of victories that have occurred in this auditorium and in the other auditoriums we've met in. I thank the Lord for souls that are saved. When I go to the cemeteries, I often go early in the morning to visit a cemetery. Many times when I'm coming back from down on Highway 40 and I come through Portland and up at the border of Kentucky, I stop at that little cemetery where two precious people from our church are buried. I stop there often and just say, thank you, Lord, that they got saved. They're not here in a grave, they're in heaven. Thank God for that. But we can't lean on the blessings of the past. There's a generation coming in our church that know nothing of the blessings of the past. You and I must establish funds that will enable us to build. I want to challenge us to sacrificially give toward a building fund that will build and build and build until we have a foundation from which to structure buildings in the future going on and on for Christ. Not looking back, but looking forward. I press on. I like the song, I think it's Lonnie Cook's favorite, I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I onward bound, Lord plant my feet on higher ground. That's what we need to do, pressing on. And Paul said, I press on toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And ultimately, that pressing on gets us home. You just think of heaven. I asked somebody the other day, what do you think about when you think of heaven? when you think of going home to heaven. Sometimes we think about the valley before we get there. I don't know anybody that looks forward to that. Valleys are tough. Everybody here, unless the Lord comes first or unless you die of a heart attack or die suddenly in an accident, you're gonna go through a valley. They're gonna stand around and you may hear them say, well, he's not gonna make it much longer. (laughs) He's about gone. Listen, don't say that around people that are dying. They can hear you. Even if they wanted to get well, they'd say, well, they don't think I'm going to get well. I think I'll go on and curl up a knot and die. You don't say that to them. But that's going to happen. But oh, what's beyond that valley. He sang about it a little while ago. Someday the silver cord will break. And I no more as now shall sing, but oh, the joy when I shall wake within the palace of my king. Now, part of the joy of heaven is going to be in the people we've won to Christ. Part of the joy of heaven is going to be the influence we left behind us. Individually, as a mother, as a daddy, as a family, and as a church. I am praying that our generation, whatever you call that, whether it's the generation of all of us here, or whether it's the generation of those who are 70 and over, that our generations will leave behind us marks, marks on this city that will live on and on and on until we get to heaven. Most of you have heard of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He built the great work in London, Metropolitan Tabernacle, preached to thousands every week. He said, uh, men are God's methods. He said, I don't know what will happen after I'm gone. But I want what we do to be a milestone so that people looking back can get inspiration to go forward and to press on. That's what I pray about our church. And about individual lives. I look around here today and see young lives on the altar for Christ. I see middle-aged people who are busy serving the Lord. I see some with silver hair nearing the crossing. And together, we're saying, we want to press on. We want to press on. We're not satisfied with the past nor the present. We're going to go on and on and on until one day we look from the other side and we'll say it was worth it all. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus who died for us on the cross, who made it possible for us to press on because of the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray that somebody here today will turn away from sin and self and turn to Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand, please. What's our hymn? 154, Jesus is calling. 154, Jesus is tenderly calling today, calling thee home. While we sing, The invitation is this. If you've been saved, you need to come and confess Christ openly. If you've been saved and you're ready to be baptized, you need to come. If your membership is in another church, you need to come and move your letter here. You say, well, how do you do that? You just come in a recommitment of your life to Christ, and our clerk will write for your letter. There's somebody here that God is dealing with about something else in your life some other work he wants you to do. Are you willing to say, I hear you, Lord, I offer myself to you. You come while we sing.